I invite you to go ahead and open your Bible, please, to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. A man named Charles was on vacation in China riding on a tour bus. There was another tour group on a bus in front of him, and it was snowing, and the rope was muddy and slick, and the bus in front slid off the road, turned over in a, in a, in a rice field, and was laying on its side. Windows were broken, and people were hurt. Charles and others got off their bus and went to help, and he, the bus was laying on its side, and so he, he climbed up on it, and the emergency door on the side was pointing up, and he walked over, and he was turning the knob and trying to open the emergency door to, to let people out, turning the handle. But no matter how hard he pulled, he couldn't get the door open. By that time, others were helping injured people crawl through the broken windows, and so he decided to go help them do that. And he noticed a second man had gone over and turned the handle on the emergency door, and it opened easily for him. And suddenly he realized why he had not been able to open the emergency door. He'd been standing on it the whole time he was trying to pull it up. And even though his intentions had been good and he was trying to help people, he had been the biggest obstacle to opening the door. And sometimes I'm afraid that's a picture of us, of Christians, of church people followers of Christ. We're the biggest obstacle to the door we're trying to open so that people who are lost and hurt because of sin can be rescued and have Christ. Sometimes we are the biggest obstacle. We're the reason the door is not easily opened so that people can walk to safety and to salvation. I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again because it was so impactful. When I was in high school and a deacon who was also the Sunday school director in our home church at a New Year's Eve party, drank and got drunk and ended up in the hospital because he was also a diabetic and it created some, some complications. So word spread through that small community, and I remember Monday after Christmas vacation, first day at school, it was the talk on the campus. And here were all these fellow students I'd been inviting to church, all these fellow classmates I'd been sharing the gospel with, laughing in my face about this deacon in my church, the Sunday school director in my church. And suddenly opening the door for some of them to come to Christ, opening the door for some of them to come to church got a lot harder. Sometimes we who wear the name of Jesus are the biggest obstacles to the door opening so lost people can be saved. On January 11, 2012, I wrote a blog, a post on my blog, and let me just take a moment and read it to you. This was over two years ago. Earlier this week, Manisa and I ate dinner at Olive Garden. Food was good and we enjoyed our time together. However, there was one thing I did not enjoy. The conversation of the people seated at the table next to us. Their language was not vulgar and they were not arguing. They were nice to the restaurant staff 
and repeatedly said, thank you. In fact, it was obvious from what they were saying that they were active members of a church. So what was it about their conversation that bothered me? They were discussing in detail a conflict at their church. They mentioned names and described negative events. We all discuss things that happen, is, happen at church as well as other events in life. That's normal. What should not be normal is believers saying negative things about their church and other believers in public. It was hard not to hear them as the voice of one woman in particular was loud. Manisa and I were not the only people hearing their conversation. I don't know if the others seated nearby were believers or not. But I do know that what was said would not encourage a lost person to go to church or have any interest in knowing Jesus. And here's how I concluded this blog post. I've often wondered why believers are not more aware of our surroundings when we say certain things. Rather than being a witness for Jesus to the lost in public, too many times our words in public settings are an embarrassment to the kingdom of God and a hindrance to evangelism. Sometimes it's like we're standing on the door. And in genuineness, we want the door to open. We want people to come to Christ. We want people to be saved. We want people to come to church. But the whole time we want it, the whole time we're turning the knob, we're standing on the door by how we talk, by what we do. Years ago when our kids were little, Stephen was playing baseball at Cherry Park. Now remember one person who was a member of our church bumping into me and started complaining about something going on at church. Well, that's okay, except everybody walking by could hear everything this person was saying. And I, I can still, all these years later, remember thinking to myself, are you not smarter than this as a follower of Jesus Christ? Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we stand on the door. See, a lot of the negative talk about Christians in America, a lot of the negative talk about churches in our community, a lot of negative talk about Christianity in our culture is our own fault. Often when the world talks bad about God's people and about Christianity and about the church, often we are to blame. This sermon series, Let's Talk, we've been focusing on what Scripture teaches us about how to talk and the attitudes behind it. We're going to wrap the series up. This is the last message in it. And so I've titled today's sermon, When the World Talks, because the truth is the world talks a lot about us. Let's be honest. For the first time, many of you who've lived a long time feel like as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in an overwhelming minority in this country. More negative attitudes toward the gospel, more negative attitudes toward Christianity, more negative attitudes toward the church, more negative attitudes toward, toward, toward us than perhaps any time in America's history. And I'm submitting that sometimes part of it is our own fault.
When the world talks bad about God, about Jesus, about the church, maybe sometimes we need to look in the mirror. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Read with me, please. Paul writes to these believers in this city of Colossae, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Paul says, Pray for me and those who are in ministry with me, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And then he adds in verse 5, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, those outside the church, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and if we are Christians, if we say we've been saved, that's who and what we are. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. A follower of Jesus Christ cares about what Jesus cares about. Let that sink in. A follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, cares about the same thing Jesus Christ cares about. He's the teacher with the student. He's the master with the servant. We care about what he cares about if we follow him. That's a given. That's foundational. And Jesus cares about lost people. Jesus cares about lost people. Jesus said if you have 99 sheep safe but one's lost, you go find the lost. Jesus left heaven for earth to die on a cross for lost people. Jesus cares about lost people. Jesus cares about the people outside the walls of this church today as much as He cares about me and as much as He cares about you. He cares about lost people. And not only are we supposed to care about what He cares about, He told us to care about it when He said, Go and make disciples of everyone. Do what I've done. Do what I'm telling you to do, he said. But sometimes we make it harder than it has to be. Sometimes we stand on the door. And so Paul's doing ministry, evangelistic ministry, church planning ministry, missionary ministry, and he says to this church, to these Colossian believers, he said, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote means to remain or tarry or stick with or continue. He, he's saying continuously, continuously pray. Not only for yourself and for your family, but in verse, verse 3, also for us, for those of us in ministry, those of us who are doing evangelism, 
Why? So that God will open a door. So that God will open a door for us to share the gospel. So that we can speak as we ought to speak. And that word ought in the Greek means of necessity, a must, it's, an, it's, it's a compulsion. See, Paul wanted people to be saved just like Jesus wants people to be saved. And, and he knew that, that this is a, a work of God and that prayer was critical to it. And so he said to the followers of Jesus Christ, Will you pray that doors are open and people walk through to salvation? Jesus, when he established the church in Matthew's gospel, said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words, when the church marches up to the very doors of hell, if we're doing it in the name of Jesus, we kick in those doors, they will open. But yet sometimes it's like we're trying to keep them shut. And so Paul says, will you pray? The doors will be open." People will be saved. The gospel will go out. Get off the door and let it open. Now most of us, we've been in church long enough, we understand that prayer is an important part of Christian work. Prayer is an important part of evangelism. We get that. But I want you to notice it's in the context of this passage where Paul is burdened for people being saved and walking through the door to salvation that he says to these Colossians, I can't do it alone. I need your help. And in fact, he says, there's three things I need you to do to help. Three things I need you to do to help evangelism. Three things you need to do to help people walk through the door to Christ. Three things. One of them is to pray. But there's two more. Two more things you need to do if you want to help the mission of the church. Two more things you need to do if you want to help the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God, if you want to help with evangelism and people being saved. Two more things beyond praying you need to do in this passage. The first one deals with how you live and how you treat people, including how you treat lost people, how you live in front of them. The second one has to, the third one, third one has to do with how you talk, how you talk to people, how you talk around people, including lost people. Paul said, my heart's burden is that of Jesus Christ to see people come to God and I need your help. Pray, pray, pray that doors will be opened so people can be saved. Pray, but that's not enough. It's not enough. Because if you don't do these other two things, it's like you're standing on the door, turning the knob, but the door won't open because the weight of your sin, the weight of your mouth, is keeping it shut. Look at verse 5. He said in this context, as in this context, he's talking, he said, conduct yourselves 
That means literally in, in the Greek it's, it's a long walk. It's a, a metaphor for how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how we act, our lifestyle. He says conduct yourselves. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ, church members, Christians, Here's how you need to live if you want to help the cause of Christ. Live with wisdom. But he didn't stop there. Wisdom toward outsiders, toward those who are outside the church, outside the family of God, those who are outside of Christ. The word wisdom there in the Greek is Sophia. It's a, it's a practical wisdom that refers to you knowing how to live in relationships. A practical wisdom that says you know how to live in relationship to God. A practical wisdom that says you know how to, re- how to live in relationship to other people. That's the essence of that word, Sophia. Because the wisdom of God ultimately shows itself in practical ways how you live with and among people. If you don't know how to live with people, if you don't know how to live among people, there is a lack of godly wisdom no matter how smart you are about other things. Live with godly wisdom in your relationships and here he focuses on one particular relationship our relationship with outsiders those who don't know Jesus Christ those who are not part of the Christian family he said be smart be God smart be God smart with how you live and how you carry yourself and how you conduct yourself among those who don't know Jesus Christ Isn't that what he says? Or am I just making this up? Conduct yourself with wisdom toward toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Making the most is is the translation of a word that means to to buy up, to purchase. In other words, to, to use it to the max. Get all you can out of it. And the word opportunity, or some Bibles may have the word time, it's not the word for minutes and hours. It's the word for seasons and eras and epics and opportunities and experiences. So whatever opportunities, whatever circumstances, whatever situations, whatever whatever opportunities are in front of you when it comes to relationships with those outside the family of faith, he said you are to live in a with a God wisdom among them and in those opportunities and those circumstances how we live in front of other people, and how we treat other people, including lost people, unchurched people. He says, make the most of it. Do you know why this matters so much in Paul's day? See, I know our culture is changing. I get that. But what we need to realize is that For us, it's just becoming more like it is for most of God's people on this planet and the way it's been for most of God's people throughout history. We've been spoiled, so to speak. 
the, the followers of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the believers of the first century, they were an overwhelming minority in their culture. And, and let's get something straight. These early followers of Jesus Christ, these early believers, these early disciples were often viewed very negatively. These early followers of Jesus were often thought of as atheists. Now, I know that may shock you, but they were thought of as atheists. You know why? Because they would not worship the gods of Rome and the gods of Greek and so of Greece, and so people considered them atheists because they would not worship those national gods. And they were attacked because of it. These early followers of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, hear me, they were considered unpatriotic because they would not burn incense to a statue of the Roman emperor. And it caused them to be ostracized in life and in business and sometimes in families. They were considered a cult. A weird new religion because of the Lord's Supper, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, as often as you drink, as often as you eat. Some even criticized them as cannibals, thinking they were literally eating the body and blood of Christ. You and I have this false notion that the early followers of Christ lived in a day like ours. They did not. Our day is only now beginning to resemble theirs. And yet they turned the world upside down for Jesus while we, with all the benefits we've enjoyed, stand on the door. Caring about everything else more than we care about what Jesus said we're supposed to care about. Christians today are not always viewed positively. And so in the New Testament, they were not either. And Paul says, listen, if we're going to win, listen, if we're going to win people to Jesus, if we're going to win our neighbors, if we're going to win our co-workers, if we're going to win this culture of Jesus Christ, we need to do some things. We need to pray, and we need to do it every day, and never give up on it. And secondly, we need to live right. We need to live like a follower of Jesus Christ, not like a phony. We, we need to treat people who are lost the right way and do everything we can by how we live to, to lessen their suspicions of us because we're good people and we do good things and we're kind to them and we live godly and we live righteously. And folks, we're not going to win this world if we live like the world. In your outline and on the screen, First Peter 2.12, he said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, those who are not followers of Christ, so that the thing which they slander you as evildoers, so that in that thing, they may be cause of your good deeds as they observe them. You, you do know people are watching you, don't you, whether they say anything or not? Glorify God. When people watch you, do the way you live and the way you treat people and the way you treat unchurched people and the way you treat sinners, do they look at the way you treat people, including sinners, and, 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 and glorify God? 
Or, or do they look at the way you treat people, including sinners, and say, man, I don't want anything to do with that? First Peter 3, verses 15 and following. Verse 15, sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord. Give Him that place in your heart, Lord of your hearts always. And when He's Lord of your hearts, that means He's Lord of your affections and your priorities and what you care about. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with, what's the word? What? Gentleness. And reverence, that Greek word is not reverence for God, it's reverence or respect for the other person. Sometimes we who follow Christ are not gentle and not respectful toward people outside the church. So why would they ever want to be a part of it? Verse 16, and keep a good conscience. Don't violate your conscience. Don't violate the commands of God so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. People make accusations against you, but live in such a way that ultimately they are put to shame because there's no truth to the accusation. Live righteously. Don't don't give them any ammunition that ultimately will say they're right. Verse 17, it's better if God, if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Don't you as a follower of Jesus Christ get in trouble because you do something wrong? If you get in trouble, let it be because you did something right. And then you have the verse for pastors about a good reputation with those outside the church in Timothy. And listen, God expects the same of me and you. But for me to be a pastor, I've got to meet the qualifications. To be a church member, you don't. But to be a follower of Christ, yes, you should. Don't give credibility to the world's stereotypes of Christians. Remember that people are watching and when... And, 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 and that when, when, when Christians live wrong and when we treat people wrong, the world talks. Don't give them negative stuff to talk about about how you live and how you treat people. Real quickly, the third thing. He said, you want to help the cause of Christ? Pray. You want to help the cause of Christ? Live right and treat people right. Number three, you want to help the cause of Christ? Talk the right way. To people and about people, including when you're around lost people. Look at verse 6. He said, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. What's that favorite hymn? What's the name of it? Amazing. What? Grace. Unmerited favor. Grace. Doing something kind. Showing favor toward, doing something good for someone else without expecting anything in return and not because they earn it or deserve it. God's grace, God's love for us. God says when you are out there with lost people and you're talking and you're talking to them and you're talking about them, show them the same grace I have shown you. Wow! That's how we get off the door. 
Season with salt. My sea salt. My pepper. My garlic. I like smoked paprika. I use that a lot. Every morning they put cinnamon on my oatmeal. Ah, this is my rub for my uh, pork loin when I fix it in the uh, in the um, Dutch oven. Herbs de Provence. Really good rub, pork loin. This is my favorite thing to put in chili, cumin. I also put it in my tamale pie. And I like tuna fish sandwiches. I use the Old Bay spice. Not just for a bog. It's good for tuna fish sandwiches too. Why do we use spices? Hmm? Makes things taste better. Gives it flavor. Makes it pleasant, enjoyable. God says your speech to lost people and around lost people needs to be seasoned like with salt, like with spices. And the thing you season it with is grace. So that you can know how to respond. That doesn't mean to answer a question, but how to respond in whatever circumstance you find yourself. Whatever the situation, whatever's going on, you know how to respond both in how you act and in how you talk. Because grace seasons you. You know how to respond because, listen, if you've got that kind of grace, you know what's going on? God has your heart. And as a follower of Jesus, you are learning to care about the things he's caring about. You're learning to see people the way he sees them. And you're more concerned about advancing the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus Christ than you are your own personal agenda. Luke 4, 22, Jesus, our example, the Bible says, all the people were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. Let me talk about Facebook a minute. How many of you are on Facebook? Nothing wrong with being on Facebook. I'm so don't, this is not an attack on Facebook. Don't, don't, don't get worried. Facebook. But I do want to ask you, does it matter how Christians use Facebook? Because it goes around the world, folks. Anybody and everybody sees what you put on there. Does what you put on there, your photographs and your comments and what you link, and does, does any of that matter if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're following Jesus Christ, should your Facebook account reflect right living? Should it reflect right talking? Should it bring glory to God? Well, does your Facebook pages do that? Do they? I mean, go, go to the next photograph. Now, don't get offended. Look at that. That's, that's, that's folks, listen, that, that's a, a, a very common thing, isn't it? Let's, let's not stick our head in the sand. Now, when you look at that picture, 
what comes to mind? What is the forget you're in church? Get over that offense for a moment, and let's just get real. When you look at that picture, what message does it send to you? They're having a party. They're drinking, right? Isn't that the message it sends? Booze is fun. Got a lot of beer. That's the message it sends. Now let me ask you, what if a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a church member puts that picture on their Facebook page? What message does that send to the world? Some questions you need to ask yourself before you put a picture or a comment or a link or anything else on Facebook. Does it glorify God? Is it true, or as the Scripture says, is it true, honorable, pure, and praiseworthy? Ask yourself before you post it, does it represent the Lord Jesus Christ well? Ask yourself, does it magnify Christ? Does it magnify the church? Ask yourself, does it edify, encourage, exhort, uplift God's people and the cause of Christ? Ask yourself, does it help or hurt the gospel? Does it help or hurt the church? Does it help or hurt the Christian name? Is it standing on the door or getting off and opening the door? Because the whole world sees what you put on there. And I want to challenge, I want to challenge you not only to pray. I want you to pray for Easter, folks. It'll break my heart if nobody is saved on Easter. It'll break my heart if this place isn't packed out with lost people on Easter. And it ought to break your heart because it's going to break the heart of God. Pray. Invite. Care about what He cares about. Live right. Bring honor to Jesus. Don't make it harder for us to win people to Jesus. Talk right. Talk to people. Talk about people. Talk around people right. Sometimes use discretion and keep your mouth closed. And that includes watching what you do on Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Some of you need to go home today and look at your Instagram account, look at your Facebook account, and clean it up. Even if you're not going to change how you live, care about the things of God enough to clean it up so you don't make it harder for those of us who are trying to win people to Jesus. Clean it up. And if you're not willing to clean it up, shut it down. Stop hurting the kingdom of God. Clean it up. I've been preaching this whole morning. Clean it up. Clean your life up. Live like a follower of Christ. Talk like a follower of Christ. Act like a follower of Christ. And care about what followers of Christ care about. 